Hey everybody, and welcome into the newest edition of the Just In Time Sports Podcast. I am your host, Justin Jackson, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the NBA's playoffs and the WNBA's playoffs. We'll be talking about what happened in the first week of the new NFL season, along with giving you a preview of week two. We'll have our first guest appearance, and then we'll have Best for Last, which is going to be a recap of Celtics Heat Game 2 and Bengals and Browns for Thursday Night Football. Now, I hope you guys sit back and get ready to learn something. All right, guys, and welcome into a very packed and loaded episode of Just In Time Sports. Now, originally, just going to be honest, 48 hours ago, I had planned on starting today's episode talking about how we're finally going to get the battle for L.A., how we're finally going to see who's the best in the world between Kawhi and LeBron, how we're finally going to see who is the true king of L.A., and whether the Clippers finally will shake what appears to be a black cat around their franchise. And then Game 7 happened, and I no longer can lead with that story because, as you all know by now, the Denver Nuggets staged their third comeback of the series erasing a 3-1 deficit against one of the title favorite Los Angeles Clippers and it will be the Denver Nuggets playing the Los Angeles Lakers in the Western Conference Final of the NBA bubble playoffs. I'm shocked. To say I'm shocked is an understatement. Watching the game, it was like watching a movie where the ending almost didn't seem real. It was like watching the ending of Avengers when all the stars and characters come back to fight Thanos and his army. And you're kind of just sitting there like, I get it. I know it's how it's supposed to happen, but that, is this really happening? I, I don't think anybody predicted that the Denver Nuggets were going to come back and beat the Clippers. When it went 3-1, I said, I think Jamal Murray and Gilkis get him another one, but Clippers ended in six. Considering we already had the schedule out for the Western Conference Finals being pushed a week or so at that point, I was saying, you know, both teams get five to seven days of rest. And I'll, you know, plan a rest game, okay? Because the Clippers had to push it out, Lakers get up at extra days of rest, et cetera, et cetera. You know, plan the rest game. Just knowing Kawhi, Paul George, Montrez, Lou Will, Landry Shamit, Doc Rivers, Ty Lue, Sam Cassell. We're not going to let Jamal Murray, Jokic, Mike Malone and his coach, Michael Porter Jr., Gary Harris, and those guys come back on them. I mean, it was basically impossible. And then game five happened, massive comeback, but the Clippers have been letting their foot off the gas pretty much all season, really, but definitely all playoffs, which is how the Dallas Mavericks stayed so close in round one. And then game six happened. I'm thinking, all right, Clippers are about to end this. It's about to be over now. Battle for LA. That's all they're going to talk about to lead every show for the next, I don't know, two, three weeks, including my show. I had planned, you know, to lead with them for two, three weeks. And then game six happened and the Nuggets won. And the, the reaction of the Clippers after the game was not one of someone who thinks, okay, they've had their fun. Let's end this in game seven. It was very, very similar to when the Golden State Warriors walked off the floor in game six of the 2016 NBA Finals against the Cavs, where it was a look of, my God, what is happening? It was a look of, do we have enough? It was a look of shock. It was a look of dismay because I'm sure the Warriors were thinking and the Clippers were thinking and hell, I was thinking 
and all those situations, okay, one last big punch to make it go six, but it's gonna end in six. That your last big punch is gonna be where it ends. In both of those series, after game six, my mind flipped. I remember thinking in 2016, telling all my friends and anybody who would listen, the Warriors better end it in game five. Because if you don't, LeBron's gonna win the series because he's not losing on his home floor in Cleveland in game six. And if you tell LeBron, those guys, remember that's the Warriors pre-Kevin Durant. Those guys are 48 minutes away from winning a championship. And all he has to do is get through Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, and Draymond Green. And I said, you you can't tell me he's not going to. And then by that point, Kyrie was started going ballistic. I didn't know that was gonna happen yet, but Kyrie starts going for 40 apiece right alongside LeBron. It turns out I was right. I didn't have that feeling about this series with the Clippers and Nuggets. I completely thought it was over in six. I didn't say five. I figured the Nuggets had one big fight left, especially with no home court. The shooters get hot. The Clippers sleepwalk through it. They're known to sleepwalk through a game. They sleepwalk through it, wake up, end it in six, get ready for the Lakers, who they've been building for all year. But them leaving the floor in game six gave me a, a sight, gave me a vision I wasn't prepared for mentally. I wasn't prepared to see that team walk off the floor. Like, what is happening? The Nuggets walked off the floor in game six with all the confidence in the planet. I'm not even sure they went to sleep that night. They probably were up to 12, 1 in the morning going, we got them. We got them. We got them. And the Clippers are probably up to 2, 3 in the morning going, what is happening right now? Like, this should be over. And... Game seven comes, starts off like normal. Clippers get up. Clippers are trying to put them down. Clippers trying to throw haymakers to knock them out. Denver won't go away. Jokic and Jamal Murray have never not been in a seven-game series in their careers. So they're comfortable in a game seven. They've won now three of them, but they're comfortable in game sevens, and they were ready to go, and they were ready to battle. The Clippers switched up their strategy, started focusing on Jokic, making Jokic a passer and not a score. Jokic is really great at both, but if he's giving you 14 points and 13 assists, that's possibly a little better than him giving you 30 points and eight assists. Just because of the volume of him scoring, knocking down threes on that high pick and fade and stuff like that, you they decided to turn Jokic into a facilitator. Wasn't the worst idea on the planet, the thing is, though, it allowed him to gain rebounding advantage because he wasn't working to score. I guess he figured out early, they're not going to let me score. So I'm going to facilitate. I'm going to get Jamal Murray the ball, who went for 40. I'm going to rebound the ball. I think Jokic had 19 rebounds, 14 points, and 13 assists, if memory serves me correctly. A monster triple-double, considering that we had not seen that sort of rebounding production out of him ever, but especially in the playoffs. And so they decided to try to make Murray beat him, and he did. He went for 40. Now, this was coupled with Kawhi Leonard going 6 for 22, including one of his last 13, if memory serves me correctly. It got so bad for Paul George, he hit the side of a backboard on a corner three that wasn't even in the true corner. He was a little shifted out, so he had to aim it that badly for him to hit the side of the backboard. Lou Will couldn't throw a brick in the ocean standing in a boat. And Doc Rivers showed his desperation by calling up Reggie Jackson off the bench, who had not played the entire series. But Doc was looking for something. Doc was looking for anything. And he decided to play Reggie Jackson's music. And Reggie came off the bench and didn't contribute a whole lot. Montrezl Harrell was outsized here. Usually in today's NBA, 
He can dominate with energy and effort, especially in a regular season. But with a guy like Jokic, and then he rolled Plumlee off the bench, who was like Jokic light, it, it is hard for Trez to do anything. Zubac already is not a great player. He's a good player. He's a very serviceable player and a starting quality NBA center these days, but he can't do anything with Jokic. So if Jokic wants to go get rebounds, Jokic is going to get him. If he wants to be an assist man, he'll just be an assist man. If Jokic wants to score a 30, barring a double team, he's going to score a 30. And so they dared Jamal Murray to beat him, and Jamal Murray came up. This is not great for the Clippers. Plain and simple. They've already decided to bring Doc Rivers back. There was rumblings, loud rumblings, that the Clippers would make a coaching change. They have two head coaching candidates on their bench already, and Ty Lue, championship with LeBron in 2016. And you've got Sam Cassell, who many in the NBA are is it's not a it's a win instead of an if in terms of him becoming a head coach. And so when you've got all that working for you, some thought, you know, Doc Rivers may be pushed out the back door. They elevate one of those guys. You see Ty Lue, who's used to winning with superstars. Sam Cassell, this could be a great opportunity for him to get his feet wet. But ultimately, they decided to bring back Doc Rivers. This is also a bad day for low management. Low management took a knife to the chest today. Due to the fact of one of the reports that came out was the Clippers were tired. That's not good. That's not good at all because the Denver Nuggets had just played a game seven and they had played about 14 games in 29 to 30 days. They only had a one day break between their two series. So they played about 14 games in under a month. So the Clippers did not have that schedule. They finished out their opponent in six. So they did not have the Denver schedule. They had an easier regular season because Kawhi was missing games. Paul George was out. Pat Bev was out. They didn't have any issues in terms of bubble Injuries. Now they had Lou Will left for the death of a father figure. He turned it into Magic City Lou, Lemon Pepper Lou. But on all in all, there was no injury. Montrez left for what turned out to be the passing of his grandmother, and he had to work himself back in shape. Okay, that happens. But the it was no injuries. There was no oh my god, Kawhi turned an ankle and can't condition for two and a half three weeks. Nope. Paul George shoulders held up fine. You basically organize a system called low management to get you from the start of the season to June relatively not tired. Maybe you ramp it up around May, but relatively not tired in a typical year. However, due to the bubble, due to COVID, you had a four month break. So all the low management you did, plus the four month break, you should have been in the best shape of your life. And we've seen that from certain guys who came in the bubble in the best shape of their life. So how are you tired? Sounds like an excuse. You shot bad. You choked. You lost three games in a row to a team that honestly poked at both of your weaknesses. Guard defense, because Patrick Beverly is nice, but he does a lot of talking and yapping. Westbrook has told us that before. And big man defense, because Montrez Harold is undersized and Zubac is flat out not that great at defense. You got exposed on both. It happens. Doc Rivers has blown his third 3-1 lead. That's not great for a legacy. That's not great for a resume, but he's done it. Paul George, way off P, reared his ugly head again. That ain't great for a resume. Not at all. Kawhi Leonard, first time you were the man, first time you were the man in your system, you choked the game seven. It happens. Come back stronger next year. The band seems to be ready to put itself back together. They've got a couple of key free agents they need to secure. 
And so that's going to be at the top of the Clippers docket. But you blew the series. You blew probably your best chance at the Lakers. Because now the Lakers can go possibly win a championship and dangle that in front of Wiley Vets who make one last run to fill out a bench. The Warriors come back next year. The Nuggets, those Nuggets that just beat you, get a year older and a year more together. The Phoenix Suns went 8-0 no in a bubble. They're coming. Dallas may get a good free agent paired with Luka and KP, and they're coming. So you might have blown your best chance at the Lakers. You organized yourself to be one team, and you couldn't even meet that team when the chips were on the table. That ain't great. But hopefully the Clippers can come back next year and contend in the top of the West. Now as for the East, I mean, it's like the Celtics can't not play dramatic series. I mean, sure, the first time series went quick, but if Ben Simmons was healthy, that would have been a long series. They go seven against Toronto in a hell of a battle, an absolute war of a battle. And then they play arguably the best game so far of the bubble, especially with the way it ended. With a monstrous Bam Adebayo block on Jason Tatum driving to the rim with five seconds left in overtime. I mean, what a block. Now, Matthew Johnson called it the greatest defensive play he's ever seen in the playoffs. That's that's wrong, Magic, respectfully. Blocked by James in Game 7 of the 2016 NBA Finals where he smacks Andre Iguodala's shot off the backboard, which leads directly to the Kyrie Irving step side three on Steph Curry. That was the greatest defensive play, given the levity of the situation. And when it came, blocked by James in the 2016 NBA Finals is absolutely the best defensive play. But that does not take away anything from Bam. Bam was absolutely ridiculous on that play. He was heady, using his left hand instead of his right. I mean, it was ingenious in terms of how he played that defensively. So good job by Bam at a bio. Honestly, going into a little preview of the conference finals. Obviously, the Miami Heat are up 1-0, and by tonight, they could be up 2-0. I've got the Heat winning that series in six. I had that before the series. Uh, Heat in six. I just think that they have Jimmy Butler and the Celtics don't. If I had to pick anybody in crunch time, anybody to go to battle with in that series on both sides, I'm picking Jimmy Butler. Probably my second person to go in the foxhole with is Bam Adebayo, then Jason Tatum and Marcus Smart. But I just got to lean towards the championship experience of Eric Spolstra and Miami Heat organization, having a title with the LeBron-led Heat teams. And then you have Jimmy Butler, who's an absolute dog. You have Bam Adebayo. You have a kid in Tyler Hero who doesn't seem to be afraid of anything. He's coming out knocking down shots. You've got Duncan Robinson going Drogic. And so I just got to lean with the Heat in six. As opposed to go to the West, I'm going to go with Lakers in five. Now, I know that is a tough take, especially with Denver usually battling everybody. I mean, they've come back from 3-1 twice in the same playoffs. It's never been done before. They are absolutely ridiculously talented. But here's the thing where the Lakers and teams like the Clippers and the Jazz differ. They have LeBron. The others don't. I think it'll be 3-1 again. And LeBron's going to talk to that team. Frank Vogel, Jason Kidd, they're going to talk to that team and go, we've seen the Nuggets do this to people twice. The Jazz had 3-1. We thought the Nuggets were going home. The Clippers had 3-1. The world thought the Nuggets were going home. The Nuggets survive both of them, and they're going to play the Lakers probably to about 3-1 again. They have to end it. 
They have to end it in five. Do not give the Nuggets hope. And I think LeBron and AD will have a dominant game five and end it in five. But I would lean again there. Lakers in five, no more than six. I don't see any possible way it goes seven. But now we're going to shift to the WNBA playoffs. They've already had their first round, which is single elimination, just one game, basically like a wild card round in baseball. And Phoenix advanced to play Minnesota and Connecticut advanced to play the Sparks. Now in that, in those series, I would take the Phoenix Mercury over the Minnesota Lynx and the Spark over the Sun, which would send Phoenix to play the Aces and the Sparks to play Seattle in a battle with Brittany Griner and Diana Taurasi versus league MVP AJ Wilson along with Angel McCautry. I would go with the Las Vegas Aces and then with the Los Angeles Sparks led by Candace Parker, Agumake, Chelsea Gray. I would in a tough series, I mean an absolute war, I would have them taking down the Seattle Storm with Brianna Stewart and Sue Bird which would set up a Las Vegas Aces, Los Angeles Sparks final, which I will talk about a lot more in detail next week. And up next, we're going to shift to our first guest of the podcast in the show history. Pretty big news. And we will touch on that right after the break. All right, guys, and we are back with our first guest in show history. We've got Jaron Borski here to talk a little basketball, talk a little football. Uh, he's got some stuff to get off his chest, apparently, so we're just going to jump right in it. Uh, how do you feel about what happened with the Clippers and the Nuggets? Well, first, everybody that's been waiting to come out with all these memes and all these hate, people that's like Kendrick Perkins and Shannon Sharp and all that that just want to see the Clippers lose, Y'all are weird. The Clippers ain't do nothing to nobody. Well, except for Pat Bev and Lou Will. But Kawhi, the Kawhi slander, it got to stop. It got to stop. Y'all are weird. That boy has been consistently good. Now everybody want to bash him because he got upset. So we're just going to ignore all the commercials, like the New Balance commercial with the crown dangling, Kawhi town, or the weird one when he's on a stage and looks like a zombie. We're just going to ignore that entirely. We're just going to keep that just completely out of the way. I'm sorry. I didn't know it was illegal for black basketball players to make money outside of basketball. Excuse excuse Kawhi Leonard for trying to get some endorsements. Everybody was knocking him for not having no endorsements except for that. What, what he had a Wingstop endorsement? Exactly. Like, everybody was knocking him. Now he got his shoes. Yeah, that's a shot at LeBron. Newsflash basketball fans, not everybody cares about what LeBron James got going on. They have other good players in the NBA. I mean, he signed with New Balance. So money wasn't the biggest thing on his mind at the moment. But I mean, he does have his own brand with New Balance. This is true. He does have his own brand with New Balance. So no real shade there. But I mean, so who are you looking for to win the Eastern Conference Finals? You got Celtics and Heat. Heat are already up a game. By the time this come out, they could be up two games. But we'll do a recap and best for last. So who do you got winning the rest of the series? As a Heat supporter that was my first team that I rooted for because of the greatest shooting guard ever Dwayne Wade uh I honestly think like not even with a bias I think they can win it they're probably gonna go in seven games because Brad Stevens as much as we've given him credit for being a great coach 
he just hasn't been, uh, you know, he hasn't been able to take his team to the next level, and he's had the talent. Granted, they don't have size, but, okay, in this case, neither does Miami. So it's really just, are your players going to be better than their players? And on paper, the Celtics have the better players, but they just don't play as hard as Miami. I get that. I get that. I had the Heat in six because of the Jimmy Butler, Bam, Adebayo factor. I just think they're in a foxhole. They're a little better than Jason Tatum and Marcus Smart and Jalen Brown and Ennis Cantor and the rest of the crew. But we agree there. I have it going six instead of seven. But shifting to the Western Conference Finals, I have the Lakers in five. I don't think they'll make the same mistake that Kawhi and the Clippers did by allowing the series to go further and allowing an underdog team to stay close. And your thoughts on that are? Okay, that little dig was unnecessary. Kawhi Leonard averaged 30 and 10 the whole playoffs. Where was his help? But to the original question, I also have the Lakers in five. Where they should win in five, like the Clippers should have won in five. But, you know, they have the Nuggets just have no matchup for LeBron whatsoever. They have no mismatch because you have Jokic going against three defensive bigs and Anthony Davis, Dwight Howard, and JaVale McGee. Uh, Jamal Murray, Danny Green, and KCP can give him some problems. And you won't need, unlike the Clippers, you won't need your perimeter defenders to go trap a big. So LeBron should just have free reign. Honestly, he should dominate this series. He won't have to really go at anybody. They have no other really good wings. So I expect the Lakers to dominate. Yeah, that's pretty much the points I said earlier in the show. Um pretty much all I have for the NBA. I know you're not a huge girl basketball fan for the WNBA, so we're going to shift right into the NFL. I just give a shout out to uh, Tia Cooper. Alrighty, guys, and now we're going to shift to a little NFL discussion. So obviously it was a great week one. It was great to have football back. We opened it with Chiefs and Texans. That was a great game. Started off with a little controversy due to fans and things of that nature, but it was a great week in the NFL. Quarterback Russell Wilson of the Seahawks had an amazing game. He threw for 300-some-odd yards with four touchdown passes. Trubisky for the Bears showed up. Tad bit shocking, admittedly. I think they should still hand that job to Nick Foles, but we'll see where Trubisky goes from there. I'm getting a thumbs down at the moment. Uh, Cam Newton debut for the Patriots was a little rocky. He only graded about a 65 for pro football focus, but he did run in for two touchdowns. Uh, Looking at the Eagles... Lots of sign of trouble. It started off 17-0, and then Washington went on a 27-0 run, tiling up eight sacks, and some of the highlights were fairly embarrassing for the Eagles' offensive line. Now, in regards to the Raiders, they played well against the Panthers, 34-30. I was shocked, rather, admittedly, that the Raiders could score that many points on a Panthers team. Although the Panthers' offense looks great under the helm of Joe Brady. He did have a questionable call handing it to the fullback instead of Christian McCaffrey on fourth and one. But ultimately, they look great scoring 30 points in their debut. Tom Brady had an up and down debut for the Saints. That was by far the biggest watch game of the weekend. It topped out at about 23 and a half million viewers. It was rocky. Started off great. Went right down the field, scored a touchdown, including a Tom Brady sneak. But then the lack of chemistry and the lack of a preseason really started to show there. A miscommunication between Brady and receiver Mike Evans led to a Tom Brady interception. And he threw another pass behind the receiver on an out route. He was a little bit late on that was jumped by Jack Rabbit and went for six. And so you've got an up and down debut like that. 
The Saints offense was a little rough. Alvin Kamara did score twice, but he looked a lot of step off. And they lost Michael Thomas for the next few weeks with a high ankle sprain. And shifting to some other things, uh, before I get my guests back in on this, DeAndre Hopkins for the Cardinals. 14 catches for a buck 51. He's had his career high in catches, which is not totally surprising with the air raid offense that the Cardinals have. They treat a four-yard pass, a four-yard quick smoke route as a run. Kyler Murray ran for the most yards on the team with 91 and a touchdown. And so we just look at the rest of the games, including a very controversial offensive pass interference call against the Cowboys late in the Rams home opener of SoFi Stadium, which, by the way, looks absolutely amazing. The canopy idea was a great one for L.A. It allows that natural air and the natural sun to really shine through on the city and show off the beautiful skyline of Los Angeles. But now we're going to shift to week two. Obviously, Thursday night, we've got the Bengals and the Browns. I have the Bengals winning by seven. I just don't think the Browns are in a good headspace. The Odell Beckham rumors are already starting back. Baker Mayfield doesn't look like he improved from last season. And he's got to be on the clock. When you've got a new coach, new GM, all the guys that drafted you are no longer in the building. They don't have any alliance to you. So if you go five and 11 and get a high enough draft pick, you could be looking at Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields or Trey Lance, possibly behind center for the Cleveland Browns next season. But that being said, do you have any thoughts on tonight's game? Uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, I am a believer in Baker Mayfield uh, until, I don't know, it's kind of like his last year with me, though. He got to get his stuff together. But I do think he, he's a competitor. He always had a chip on his shoulder uh, going back since college. So I think that he will bounce back this game after just being embarrassed by Black America's team, the Baltimore Ravens, behind the top five quarterback known as Lamar Jackson. So I think the Browns, the Browns will bounce back. They got too many talent on, too much talent on paper, and like many teams, they do have a new coach. So I don't think that would be too much of an issue. Um, Odell Beckham, though, what are your thoughts on him just as a player in a decline? How long are we going to keep saying that it's the team for Odell? You know, how long are we going to keep saying it's the quarterback whenever we're going to start looking at maybe, you know, he was just a highlight machine his first few years? In regards to that, he did play with Eli Manning starting out. And Eli Manning at a certain point was not great. Eli Manning really in his career only had two great postseason runs to speak of to make what I think is his Hall of Fame career happen. Now, in this new situation, this is Odell's third coach in his second in two seasons, I believe, with the Cleveland Browns. Kevin Stefanski's offense, we've seen it last year with the Vikings, is run first, which didn't happen in week one, which is a tad odd considering they have Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt going for over five yards a carry apiece. But I think Odell Beckham is still a top-level receiver in the NFL. I just don't think the situation in Cleveland fits him, especially having a run-first offense in which you have to be asked to do a lot of blocking. It fits Jarvis Landry. It fits Austin Hooper. It fits David Njoku. And the run-first style obviously fits Chubb and Hunt. But Baker Mayfield's got to clean it up. I think schematically they're not helping Odell out. Brandon Marshall speaks about it a lot on first things first in getting a receiver active early, throwing him a smoke rod, throwing him a quick hitch or a slant in the first few plays just to keep his mind engaged for in case you'll need him later in the game. So we're both Patriots fans. We are both proud Patriots fans. 
And we have a big game this week, Sunday night at Seattle with a Russell Wilson-led Seahawks team that he just threw all over the yard in Atlanta, uh, all over Dan Quinn's defense again. And what are your thoughts on that game this week? Uh, I'm not going to lie. I'm going to be a little conflicted this week because my favorite team, which now has my favorite quarterback in Cam Newton, is going to be going against, well, my overall favorite player in the NFL in Jamal Adams, an LSU product, as you know. And uh, I think the Seahawks are going to give us some trouble just because I don't feel that we have enough trust built on the outside. You know, uh, Cam Newton, only 155 yards passing. Uh, did a lot of gadget plays and short passes, uh, you know, to try to get the receivers open. Uh, Nikhil Harry, I still need to see better from you. You know, you've shown some improvements after coming off of that bad ankle injury last year. And, you know, just kind of getting your feet wet. But I do need to see more out of Nikhil. Um, I feel like they should trust Cam more. And I think we're still just one outside piece away from being a contender. And, you know, Russell Wilson, second best quarterback in football. You know what he's going to bring to the table. Pete Carroll, top five, top three coach in the league. Uh, and that defense plays hellacious. You saw what they did to Atlanta, which arguably is one of the best offenses in the league. And, you know, yeah, we'll have to see. It's going to be a good game, a very defensive game. I got it a very low-scoring game for sure. Okay. Okay. Um, just to touch on a couple other big games this week, um, we have Indianapolis versus Minnesota, which I'm going to do in Jack's Pack later in the show. Arizona gets to face a tough Washington team, which will also be in Jack's Packs later in the show. But I hear you're not the biggest Sam Donald fan. I am on the Sam Donald train. I have been on that train since before the draft. And with a commitment to take integrity, I will cannot leave this train until the train no longer has wheels. Admittedly, I'm still in the RG3 train, hoping it gets another chance. Probably won't happen, but I blame Mike Shanahan for that one. And in the case of Sam Donald, yeah, I think it's an Adam Gates problem. You saw him with Ryan Tannehill. Ryan Tannehill was booed out of Miami, goes to Tennessee, leads him to almost a Super Bowl if Patrick Mahomes didn't exist. And now he's got a big contract and is already playing well for the Titans. And now you're looking at Sam Donald. It ain't great right now, admittedly. But he's struggling there. They have a lack of weapons. It's going to let the weapons get worse progressively. They are trying a little more with the offensive line. They've done that with draft picks, free agency. But they shipped their best defensive player across the country in Jamal Adams. They shipped their best defensive lineman across the hall to the Giants and Leonard Williams. And it seems like the organization is not fully supporting Sam Donald at this moment. But do you have any thoughts on that situation? Sam Donald, you probably would never hear this. But if you do, you are a bad football player. I have nothing against you personally. Uh, I don't know you, but you are a bad quarterback. You are not good enough as an NFL quarterback. And yeah, you can say, oh, it's Adam Gase. Uh, you know, at least Tannehill shows some flashes. You know, Tannehill took him to the playoffs one year. I mean, you know, like, Tannehill is okay. He's mediocre. And in Tennessee, they just need him to be mediocre because you have that horse of a running back back there. But you don't have that in New York. And you're putting a lot on Sam Darnold, who, frankly, just isn't good enough for that, to be honest. He's just not that good. Well, that was some harsh criticism. But I guess after the words I said about Kawhi earlier in the show, I guess that is fair. And the theme of today's show 
with a little harsh criticism of talented players when they don't live up to expectations of what they should. <laughs> We're not about to call Kawhi, who had a bad game seven, equal to Sam Darnold, who was an NFL quarterback, went an entire quarter going yardless. Seven attempts, yardless. I can throw the ball and get one yard. I don't care who out there. He's an NFL quarterback. He sucks. Again, harsh. But again, I guess the thing with the show today is a little harshness. It's not the greatest environment for people who didn't have a great week, admittedly. But if you don't have any other comments, I guess that is all for our first guest segment on the Justin Time Sports Podcast. I'd like to thank Jaren for giving his time today. And after a quick break, we'll be shifting to the Jacks Pack. We'll talk about what we did last week along with this week. And we'll be back after this short break. Alrighty, guys, and we are back. Now, that was a very fun guest segment. Obviously, it was the first one, and that was a lot of fun. And Jiren will definitely be back on the show at a later date to give some more of his insight. It was great insight. I agree with a lot of his points. I didn't agree with a couple of it, specifically around the Kawhi stuff. But sometimes I think the leader has to be held accountable, and maybe that, you know, just something he doesn't agree with when it comes to one of his guys and Kawhi Leonard. But now we're going to shift to our Jacks pack, which is where we'll pick five games a week. Obviously, I debuted it last week. We'll pick five games a week to bet against the betting line. And to be a professional in Vegas, you need to hit about 58% of your bets to make some real money. Now, last week, we went a very impressive three-game win. We lost the game, and we tied one, which was the Colts game we lost so that was a little shocking. Jacksonville showed up, showed out, and Phillip Rivers did. Phillip Rivers liked things and cost us a game along with costing his team a game for the Colts, which I feel like he cares about just a little bit more than my selection, but I care about my selection. So, yeah, thank you, Phillip Rivers, for that one. But the Jaguars really showed up. Gardner Minshew went 19 for 20, had the best completion percentage at 95% in the league. It was definitely a career day in terms of efficiency, especially after I slandered them the way that I did last week. My apologies to the Jaguars. I don't mess up often, but when I do, I would like to apologize to Jacksonville. I say they didn't have much. That could be proven right over the course of the year. But so far, they're bad at tanking by going 1-0 against the Colts. But this week, we will go to this week's Jack Pack, which, again, five games we're going to pick against the spread. So we have Seattle versus New England, with Seattle being a four-point favorite. I would take Seattle, swallow the points. Now, I just think Seattle is going to be a touchdown plus favorite. I'm a Patriots fan. John's a Patriots fan. There's a worldwide Patriots fan contingent. It's going to be a bad week for us. Sunday Night Football would not be pretty. I just think that especially if New England pulls out that same kind of offense against Seattle, Jamal Adams is going to have an absolute field day. He's going to be all over the place. I'd be scared for Cam Newton's health. Jamal Adams is not one to pull up. Neither is Bobby Wagner. And so those guys are going to be flying all over the field, especially if it's a bunch of short passes and a bunch of QB sweeps and things like that. They're going to have to push the ball down the field, test those corners in Seattle with Nikhil Harry, 
with Julian Edelman across the deep middle because they're going to have to pull those safeties, especially Jamal Adams, back in order to allow Cam to move a little bit and to get some yards on the ground. Up next, we'll go Baltimore minus six versus Houston. Take Baltimore, swallow the points. Baltimore's going to run through Houston. We just seen what Houston's defense did once Patrick Mahomes started rolling. Did you see what Baltimore did to Cleveland last week? Cleveland's got a very talented defense. Baltimore ran through it like a hot knife through butter. They scored 38, and it looked easy. So I think they're going to run through Houston as well. They have a tough defense. Houston seems to be lost at times without DeAndre Hopkins because a lot of the offense, thanks to Bill O'Brien, was centered around Deshaun Watson getting lost, getting confused, finding DeAndre Hopkins, get the ball DeAndre Hopkins. Pretty good strategy. Admittedly, that's a pretty amazing strategy. Find DeAndre Hopkins as much as humanly possible. But he's no longer there in Houston. They've already suffered a running back injury. I just think Baltimore's going to run away with that game. The next game we're going to do is Indianapolis minus seven over Minnesota. Minnesota, flat out, outright. I think the Vikings are going to win that football game. If I had to bet anything, I'm thinking that the Vikings are going to win that game. And so that being said, I would have the Vikings winning that game probably by seven. It could have been flipped and I'd probably still take the Vikings. I think Phillip Rivers is going to give that Minnesota defense, which had a week to gel in live action, some turnovers. And I just think the Vikings is going to dominate that game. San Francisco minus seven versus the Jets. As we spoke about earlier, I spoke with my guest. I love Sam Darnold. I still love Sam Darnold. I like what he can do on the football field. Unfortunately, he has Adam Gates as a coach, and that's just not great. And that's not working for his career. San Fran lost last week. They probably felt like they shouldn't have lost. They got spread out and thrown through and run around by Kyler Murray. They're going to be angry. That front four is going to be angry. That defense is going to be angry. Now they're down Richard Sherman, but the Jets don't have any receivers to speak of. And so swallow the seven for San Fran. That's going to be a massacre in my opinion. San Fran is going to dominate the Jets. And then Arizona and Washington. Arizona's a seven-point favorite, and I would go with Arizona there. Now, Washington has a great front four, arguably the best front four in football, and they have a great front seven. The problem is their cornerbacks ain't great, and Kyler Murray's rolling in with DeAndre Hopkins, Larry Fitzgerald, Christian Kirk, and Keen Drake out the backfield, along with Kyler being able to run and avoid some of that speed that the Washington has on the front line. So I'm going to go Arizona there, swallow the seven points. I think Arizona wins that by at least 10 because think about it, Washington went down 17-0 versus the Philadelphia Eagles before they were able to tee off on Carson Wentz. Well, the Cardinals don't have the greatest offensive line, but they've got one of the fastest quarterbacks in the league, and they've got a system that is built for quick passes. So we've got a quick pass system with the air rate thinking that, you know, a four-yard run or treating a four-yard pass like a run, they're going to get the ball out faster than that defensive line in Washington can get back to Kyler Murray. So hopefully we can get a repeat of last week where we went 3-1-1. One, and one. That was pretty dope. That was pretty great. And up next, we're going to shift to some NCAA football news as they continue to battle with COVID. Alrighty, guys, and we are back. And now we're going to talk about what's going down with NCAA football and their plans against COVID. All I can say is 
can we finally, finally get a commissioner of college football? Because you know what's going to be happening by October 23rd, 24th? The Big Ten will be playing football. The SEC will be about a month in. The ACC will be about almost two months in. The Big 12, right around the ACC is good, about two months in. You know what I expect to happen around the October 24th date? The Pac-12 will be back. Mountain West is trying to come back. Yeah, everybody's trying to come back. The FCS has got approved for a spring season. You know what all could have just mitigated and gotten rid of this? A commission of college football. A central voice that says, hey guys, we're going to all suspend college football. We're all going to bring it back on this date. You've got six weeks for camp. Ramp it up. 10-game conference schedule. Go play ball. College football does not apply to the rest of the rules in college athletics. You see the big announcement today wasn't, we're going to bring water polo back. It wasn't. We're going to bring soccer back. It wasn't. We're going to bring lacrosse back. It wasn't. The big announcements have been the SEC is going to play football. The Big Ten is going to play football by October 24th. The, the, the ACC and the Big 12 are going to play. There aren't letters being published to governors of states to play water polo and badminton. Those letters are being published to governors of states to play college football. The rules do not apply to those players. So why are we acting like it? Why are we acting like when the rumor of no football was going to happen, schools like LSU were, t- were reporting $80 million potential losses? You could cancel every single sport on the campus besides football and they won't lose $80 million total. You might actually make a little money. Update. A lot of those sports lose money. They can be treated under the national umbrella of the nonprofit of the NCAA. Not football. Football is different. It's the moneymaker nationally. It's the moneymaker for almost every university on campus, especially Division One. Now you have your Dukes. There, yeah, basketball's king. North Carolina, yeah, basketball's king. Although the football program is coming back under Mac Brown. You've got schools that, you know, don't even play football or basketball. Like, you got Gonzaga, don't even play football. You've got schools like Cal Poly State that is a baseball power. Okay, those schools aren't football dependent. The other 300 and some odd Division I schools, they're football dependent for financial revenue. They need football revenue to sustain their university. So let's stop acting like their football is different. Have them all under the same guidelines. Have football revenue. It's going to hurt the NCAA. It sucks. But have half football revenue go under a banner that says, hey, we're going to go into a giant pot. The Power 5 pot's going to be here. The FCF pot's going to be here. And the non-Power 5 pot's going to be here for Division 1 FBS. You have to put in half of the revenue you're going to put in the revenue sharing into the pot. And that gets split back out. So instead of the Mountain West having one revenue sharing plan and the MAC having another, or in the Power Five's case, the Big Ten, the Big 12, the Pac-12, the ACC, and the SEC all have different revenue sharing plans, you got one sharing plan for the Power Five. Half of your revenue you're going to put in the revenue sharing has to go into that pot and it gets divided back out evenly through the rest of the Power Five schools and then you keep the rest. So actually, you're probably saving a little money 
because then you will keep the rest. Or if your conference decides to have a revenue sharing pot of its own, you have to put the other half of it in the in the conference revenue sharing pot. But it levels the playing field for Power Five. Why don't we just have a commission on college football? Because now you're hoping against hope that there isn't a COVID outbreak in the SEC and shuts it down for three weeks. And actually, the SEC has built contingencies because Ed Ogeron of LSU has said most of his team has had and gotten over COVID. Now, let's say he has 75 players. Could he have been literally saying most of his team, as in 40 plus, has had COVID? Maybe. I do know at one point there was an outbreak of about 10 players and they had to quarantine another 20 based on contact tracing. So maybe he means that. I know the offensive line had an outbreak. But it was only about three or four, and then they sent the rest of the unit into quarantine because of code, because of contact tracing. It could be that, but there's no way we shouldn't have a commissioner because now the Big Ten is playing an eight-game schedule starting October 23rd, 24th. That is slated to end the day before the college football selection committee is supposed to meet to decide who plays the playoff. Why that date is important is because if their season were to end after the college football selection date they would not be eligible for the college football playoff so now they're playing a very very tight schedule including getting an eight game regular season in and playing a conference championship game right before the college football committee is supposed to meet the teams might get one bye week maybe and that'll be a situation where it'll be the contingency week if i was the big 10 i would make it a universal bye week so everybody no one's playing week six so that way, if a game has to get moved or canceled due to COVID, you can just shift it into week six where you don't have to worry about, okay, well, these two bye weeks line up. Do we not have to move this game? Do we got to move that game here? No, just make it a universal bye week of week six, for instance. In week six, you have a bye. So if you have to cancel a game in the first five weeks, you can shift it to week six. But it's a very tight window. The, the Pac-12 may up and decide they're going to bring their sport back for the same weekend to try and get in the playoff themselves with, I don't think there's any Pac-12 title contenders, but you never know, it's college football, things happen, especially this year. So if anything, this is the case to get a college football commissioner. You've got the FCS doing their own thing, trying to get in the spring. You've got group of five, like the Mac and the Mountain West trying to organize support to come back because of cheaper antigen testing options. You have the power five, with three conferences already having the schedule of play, the Big Ten now jumping in and the Pac-12 starting rumblings by applying to governors and things of that nature to try and get the last Power Five conference to be able to play to have a shot at the national championship or just Pac-12 championship competition level in general. But we will be watching that situation incredibly closely. And up next, we're going to shift to best for last, which will be a recap of Thursday night's action between the Browns and the Bengals and also the Celtics and the Heat. All right, guys, and we are back and welcome into Best for Last, where we will have a recap of Heat and Celtics game two and Thursday night football between the Cleveland Browns and the Cincinnati Bengals. So let's start off with the Heat and Celtics. The Heat, you're going to the NBA Finals. Congratulations. Punch your tickets or your virtual seats. 
and get ready for the NBA Finals. Boston Celtics, pack your bags. Tell your wives and kids you'll be home within the next few days. It's over. Now, I know it's only 2-0. And I know we've seen multiple 3-1 comebacks in these playoffs already. And the bubble has been a weird environment. It's over. The Miami Heat are going to the NBA Finals. A third quarter explosion by Bam Adebayo, who is not known for anybody's offensive game, leads the Miami Heat over the Boston Celtics. And you expect me to believe that the Celtics can come back and not only make this a series, but to extend it six or seven games and to win four out of the next five and punch their ticket to the NBA Finals, knocking the Heat out? Not happening. Not happening in the slightest. Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, Duncan Robinson, Tyler Hero. They're going to bring Miami to their first NBA Finals since the exit of LeBron James when he decided to go back to Cleveland. Boston, man, they're they're just missing something. I don't think it's in terms of a missing a player. I think they're missing player elevation. They need Jason Tatum to be a superstar. They still don't have Gordon Hayward. That's affecting them big time. They don't have... Jalen Brown is a bona fide star in the NBA. I think Boston is missing an elevation from two of their three wings, which means either Gordon Hayward returns back to his form in Utah or Tatum and Brown take a step up. Otherwise, they've got no shot in this series and they're going to continue to struggle late in the playoffs when teams either have better coached, which right now Eric Sposter is coaching circles around Brad Stevens. Or they have a situation where the team has dog in them, like the Miami Heat has. They're called the Goon Squad. They've got Butler and Adebayo and the rest of the crew, and they're ready to fight and scrap whenever you need a fight and a scrap, and they're going to constantly battle you at every step of the way. But now shifting to the NFL with the Browns and the Bengals. Good news, Cleveland. You won. Your season's still alive. That's positive. Honestly, I didn't think he would win, so I was wrong there. Bad news, Bengals. I was right. You're the fourth best quarterback in your own division. Congrats. Joe Burrow is better than Baker Mayfield. Joe Burrow is better than Baker Mayfield right now. You can swap him however you like. You give Joe Burrow the Browns roster, and you give Baker Mayfield the Bengals roster, the score is 50 to three, and that's being generous. They gets the three. Joe Burrow had to throw the ball 62 times as a rookie. 62, 61 or 62. Second most attempts by a rookie quarterback ever. No interceptions, three touchdowns. Could have been more, he had some drops. He's running for his life, dodging defenders because Cleveland does have a great defensive line. And it's effectively a one-score game. It actually finishes a one-score game. That's not good. Cleveland ran for 200 and some odd yards of offense. Baker Mayfield throws a pick on the second-to-last drive of the game. Third-to-last. Well, second-to-last. You don't count the kneel downs. Second-to-last drive of the game. And Kevin Stefanski goes, oh, yeah, i seen this story. It's called Kirk Cousins. We're not going to let you throw us out of this game. Just run the ball. Just hand it up off. And Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, one by one, just chug right on down the field. Big pop play, scored in two minutes. All runs, never putting the ball in Baker's hands again. Ball game. Dagger. Sorry, Cleveland. You got the fourth best quarterback. Sucks. I know. Man, I want to hear it. 
But let's just look at it. Lamar won the MVP. Obviously, you're not. Baker's not better than Lamar. Big Ben, second best quarterback in the division. Yeah, we've seen he still has some of the tank left. Sure, it could be more of a historic pedestal at this point. But hey, Big Ben's Big Ben when he's healthy. And then the debate becomes between the two last number one picks. Baker Mayfield or Joe Burrow. It's Joe Burrow. That was evident on the field. The things Baker thinks he can do on the field, Joe can actually do. Joe can avoid a defensive lineman, get down the field, get past a linebacker, and get out of bounds safely. Baker has been caught by defensive tackles. Windows, Baker tries to fit the ball in. It gets deflected or picked. Joe Burrow was fitting the balls through. They were just dropped by T. Higgins and A.J. Green tonight. The strength and the stature and the confidence that Baker thinks he instills with his team by talking through the media. Joe actually instills through his team by his actions on the field. Congrats, Cincinnati. You have your franchise quarterback, your first one since Carson Palmer. Now, do please do better than you did with Carson Palmer. Give him more than one receiver. Give him an offensive line. Draft the defense to stop a nosebleed. Although, although Cincinnati did have some injuries tonight, and that definitely contributed to Cleveland's ability to run for over 200 yards. But at the same time, Cleveland got whatever they wanted offensively. Odell Beckham returned. Welcome back. And you won by five points on the road. Or sorry, at home for Cleveland, rather, against their rookie quarterback. And you won by five? That ain't great. Joe Burrow is better than Baker Mayfield. Congrats, Cincinnati. Please help him. He needs a defense. He needs an offensive line. He needs more than one receiver because A.J. Green is aging, so probably two. He loves tight ends. Get him one of those. Sad news, Cleveland. You got the fourth best quarterback. And honestly... Because of the way the offense is set up, he might be the next Kirk Cousins. Severely overpaid. So what's going to happen when decision time comes? Because if he wins 9 or 10 games, you're going to have to pay him. Oh, look. Now you don't have two of everything. Now one of your running backs has to go. One of your receivers has to go. One of your tight ends has to go. Peel off some of that defense. And then Baker's going to be a 7-8 win quarterback. Now we look at Jared Goff and we go, man, they really overpaid for Jared Goff on that one. That's going to be Baker Mayfield. Sorry. Not a franchise guy. Sucks. Kind of wish he was. I enjoyed him in Oklahoma. Not as much as Kyler, but I enjoyed him in Oklahoma. But Joe Burrow is better than Baker Mayfield. And that was my biggest takeaway from the Browns and the Bengals. But that'll be all that we have for today's episode it was great having a guest if you guys like him he'll definitely be on again and we will be wrapping up today's episode this has been great it's been fun i really enjoy doing these you can catch us on spotify itunes and apple Podcasts. and please follow the twitter at jtime sports for breaking news and updates and this is your host justin jackson signing out